0: All right, well, we're going to continue our study through uh, the book of Matthew. So if you have a Bible, open up to Matthew 8. If you don't, these folks walking down the aisles will hand you one. Just raise your hand. They'll give you a Bible. Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. Now, before I have a stand for the reading of the word of the Lord, I want to kind of set it up a little bit. I had an interesting week, uh, to say the least, and um, challenged in a number of ways. Um, (laughs) This is a funny one. I was so hesitant for service to share, but uh, it it seemed to work, and uh, I wasn't kicked out of the church, so I'll do it again. Um, So as a sitting city councilman, I'm asked to do certain events around the community, and I I struggle with the, the ability to say no, so I get myself in some interesting situations and I was asked to model clothing for the American Heart Association's. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it gets way better. It gets way better. I I was asked to model clothes for the American Heart Association for their fundraiser at the Four Seasons. And um, I said, yes. (laughs) And um, and so the, the lady who was putting it together, uh, her, her profession is she, she dresses executives, and this is what she does. And so I had to meet her at Macy's to try on a business suit and then try on a, a tuxedo. So I was going to do business wear and then tuxedo. I was going to come out twice. And uh, I, was, I, I hate shopping. As you can tell, everything I'm wearing is from Costco. Uh, I... <laughs> I don't shop, I hunt. And I go in, oh, boom, throw it in the basket, move on. My wife goes, can't we get something nicer on you? This is, it. But that's me. Um, so I went to Macy's, I hate shopping, and this lady made it painless. It was actually pleasant. Uh, she goes, what, do you, what coat? I said, 48 long. And she puts it on, she goes, no, you're 46 long. I go, no. She goes, perfect. I go, this is painful. She goes, beauty's painful. Okay, okay, okay. So... I learned a little bit about how to dress uncomfortably. Um, So I tried those on, and then Friday was the event. Well, before I got to the event on Friday, uh, we had our our men's gathering at 6.30 in the morning. We're going through God's Chaos Candidate, and I'm doing civic discipleship, talking about politics and things like that and how it applies, and it's a mountain of influence. And I'm taking the guys through, but before we got here at 6.30, I stopped off at the Starbucks over here to get some Christian crack, uh, coffee. 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 And, and as, as I see the line, it's a drive through the line's really long, so I figure I'll park and go in. So I park the car, I'm walking in, and there's a young kid, uh, weathered blue jeans, a jacket, looks cold, got a backpack, he's, you know, he's vagabond, traveling, probably homeless, and he asked me for some money. And I look at him and I said, do you know what money is? <laughs> he looks at me like, what? What's money? It's, it's what you need to get stuff. I'm like, well, no, money is a representation of a contribution you've made to society. What contribution have you made? And he looked at me like, what, just, (laughs) And, and the point is, you know, you mow Widow Johnson's yard, she gives you $20. You go to buy shoes that are $100 and the man says, that's a contribution you made to society. You have a representation of that but you need a larger representation if you're going to be able to afford these shoes because it required a greater effort to produce them. So go mow her lawn four more times and then you'll have enough representation of your contribution to be able to buy the shoes. And he didn't get it. And I said, are you hungry? Let's get something to eat. And so from my contribution to society, I helped him get some food. And I think he grasped the concept, but it was great for an illustration with the men that morning. So in a sense, he did contribute to my illustration, which I was grateful for. And the men got it. Money is a, is a representation of a contribution you make to society. And the society, the most counterfeited bill in the world is the, the, the U.S. currency because we have a culture that teaches its people to contribute to society, and thus the commodity, this representation this, this of, of contribution has value. Has value. Um, currency doesn't have value in Venezuela. And, and because the people are enslaved... And as you see, the the largesse of government and the smaller the citizen, the greater the government. Money doesn't have much value in North Korea. But here in America, the contribution we make to society, this is, you, you contribute your tithe, your contribution to society, you take that and you give it to a church because you believe the church creates a contribution to society. And so a culture is developed and strengthened as a result of that, and we become strong. And a republic is only survived by a moral people. And we start to realize the value of that. Well, I had shared that with the men. And it was, it was impactful. And following that was now my time to go get dressed up and participate in the fashion show. And so I got to the Four Seasons. She said, meet me in the green room at the Four Seasons. And I got there at 1245, knocked on the door. And she explained, this is the green room. Um, and I said, who else is here? She said, oh, you're the only one. And then there's four Los Angeles cheerleaders that will be with you. No, it's a, I said I'm the only one. She said, "Yes, you're 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 it." We couldn't get anyone anyone else to do it. I just opened up my shirt and showed the S for sucker. In a, and she said, "They'll dress here, and you're going to dress in the hallway here." I'm like, "In no, the 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 hallway? There's a window in the door to the green. I'm going to be in the hall, hallway." She said, "Yes." I said, oh, "Okay." You know, this is odd. I'm uncomfortable. I'm way out of my wheelhouse. So we get up to the point where there's there's eight segments of the fashion show, and I'm like four and six, or four and eight. So I'm doing the business wear and then the evening wear, so I have time to change in between. So I knock on the door to go get my outfit on that's all pressed and ready to go, and I've already tried it on, and I knock on the door, and she says, oh, Rob, yeah, come on in. And she opens up the door, and I walk in, and the girls are all changing. I guess they're familiar with this, and most fashion people are. I wasn't prepared for the Eiffel, and... Uh, concrete inspector just walking straight to the hallway just (laughs) oh i gotta call my wife this is not good (laughs) and and i get out into the hallway and and i have my arm and going i need my clothes please anyone and they give me the clothes and and i i'm i don't want to change in the hallway so i see all these doors i open one up and they're all changing rooms they're dressing rooms obviously they didn't realize this so i go into my own dressing room because i'm special and I put on my suit and I come in and I knock. Is everyone decent? Oh, we're decent. I come in. They're not what I would consider decent. And and this is odd to me. And uh, and then the girl comes up and says, "I'll be walking with you." And I go, "Well, it would be good to know your name. I've pretty much seen you naked." <laughs> and uh, and and I'm thinking to myself, "Lord, why am I here?" I I. This is, this is so outside of, I, I don't even know how to tell the congregation what I've done. <laughs> and, um, and so through the course of that event, I had the chance to share the Lord with three of the four girls and had really meaningful conversations about the Lord. And I, I you know, in, in a couple of cases, I pointed out, I just said, you're, you're running in a fast world and it's good to slow down and get reacquainted with the Lord. You're going to need him. And, uh, and, and they understood that. And what was fascinating is they didn't understand I was a pastor because they thought I was a council member. And when she introduced me, she introduced me as a pastor. So when I came back in, they're like, you're a pastor. I'm like, yeah, I am. So that was my Friday, my Friday. Now, how does that tie in with what we're about to read? Well, In the passage of Scripture, and trust me, it works because in the passage of Scripture, as we've studied in in Matthew chapter 4, that also coincides with Isaiah chapter 9, Jesus went in to the darkness in Zebulun and Naphtali. It was the darkest region of the world, darkest region of the world. And there he set up shop, and it was the center of his ministry for three years on the earth, right in Capernaum. And and he's going to be in Gadara, And actually, as we read, and we're going to revisit from last week, he came across the Sea of Galilee over to Gadara. And that storm kicked up, and it was demonic in a sense because it spoke of a seismic storm, and the waves were were screeching, and the the power of it. And it was almost as though on on the other side of Galilee uh, was Gadara, and, and the demonic oppression in that region so dark that the demons were almost trying to keep Jesus from landing on the shore. And yet, he went right into the darkness. And we're going to see that he engaged some things that uh, I, I witnessed this week. And so, I pray it ministers to you. So, please stand for the reading of the word of the Lord. We're going to pick up at verse 23, where we were last week, just to put it into context. Now, when he, Jesus, got into a boat, his disciples followed him, and suddenly a great tempest, a seismic storm, arose on the sea, so that the boat was covered with waves. But he was asleep. And then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are dying, we're perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? And then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, and as Luke said, they were, they were afraid, saying, who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? They saw that he commanded in the physical world. Now they're going to see that he commands in the spiritual world. Verse 28, when they had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesenes, or Gadarenes, there met him two demon-possessed men coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, what have we to do with you? Jesus, son of God, have you come here to torment us? I'm doing my best. And there was a little screech in there. And their neck turned around. Get away from me. Got that picture? Because it's certainly in my head. This is how I read it. Now, a good way off from them, there was a herd of many swine feeding. So the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, permit us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said to them, Go. One word, go. So when they had come out, they went into the herd of swine, and suddenly the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea, perishing into the water. That's called suicide. <laughs> It's almost like uh, Pastor Mark's eighth grade dance line. You've heard deviled ham? That works too. Verse 33, then those who kept them fled, and they went away into the city and told everything, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to depart from their region. That's odd. Let me read this to you before we sit. This is out of Isaiah 9. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan and Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Lord, we ask your blessing on the study of your word. And Lord, as we see you stepping into the absolute darkness of the Gadarenes, first commanding the physical world and now the spiritual world. Today, Lord, we ask, what would you have of us as we see this text and as we come alive to it? What do you want of us, Lord? So, God, through the course of this week and all that we've experienced, I pray that you would take every sense that we possess and draw us tightly into your heart, that we would be faithful to be your disciples. Bless us, Lord, and lead us into all truth. Give us understanding, Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, please be seated. In this passage in in, uh, Matthew 8, Matthew's an eyewitness, and Matthew, interestingly enough, as we know, is a tax collector. He was also probably a Levitical priest. Uh, he's a you know wayward churchgoer. He's converted to Christ. He's now one of his disciples. But as a tax collector, his job was during the day because you had to have enough light to be able to see uh, the numbers. And uh, so he would work during the day and sleep during the night like most people do. But Peter, Peter was a fisherman. And Peter being one of Jesus's disciples, Peter uh, worked during the night and slept during the day. Fishermen worked at night. And uh, so we, we have in Peter... Uh, a, a far more interesting account than we have with Matthew. And Peter's account is written down by Luke. Luke was a doctor, and Luke traveled with Peter, and Luke wrote down Peter's account of everything that took place. And so when Peter was describing this event and Luke was writing it, Peter had greater insight because Peter knew of the Gadarenes or the Gergesenes. He knew of this demonic man. When you're on the shores of of Galilee, it's one of the most peaceful places I've ever been, fascinatingly enough, because prior to this description, it was the darkest place on earth. But when you're on, on the Sea of Galilee or on the shores of Galilee, you hear sounds from across the lake. And I can imagine Peter and the other fishermen as they're out on the lake and they're hearing the, the, the squeals and the screeches from the tombs of the Gergesenes or the Gadarenes as this de- demoniac is what they call it, is, 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 has broken chains. And we'll see that in a moment. And The chains are rattling. The screeches are loud. The, the legion of, of demonic oppression is upon him. And you can just imagine how frightening this area is. And there's tombs that are located and people say don't even go near there. And anyone who worked on the, on Galilee understood that's a place you stay out of. And, and Peter had heard those noises. Matthew describes two demonically oppressed people because he was an eyewitness and there were two, but, but both Mark and Luke Giving description, uh, especially Luke for Peter's description, is describing one because there was a singular dialogue between one of the demoniacs and Jesus. And so it's similar to us witnessing a car accident. We're on four different corners uh, of a four way intersection. We all see a different side of it. Peter sees the conversation with Jesus in this demoniac, and it's the one that he's probably had some sort of an interaction with or has heard. And so Peter goes into greater detail in Luke's account, and I want to read that to you. Uh, It's in Luke chapter 8, and it begins with verse 26. If you don't want to turn there, I'll read it. It says, Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. And let me just share with you, Gadarenes, or, or Gadara, is where it's located. Gadara is still there to this day, and that cliff where the swine went off is still there. We'll drive by it in November. We'll get a chance to see it. It's where 2,000 swine died, suicide, that's, that's where it was located, and, and they found tombs of Roman soldiers and the legion that they participated in, so it was a retirement area for Romans, and it was also a location of pagans, but it was a convergence, it was a convergence of the Jewish world and the pagan world, it was a delineation point where light and darkness came together. So on the same hills of the Gadarenes or or Gadara, you had sheep grazing and you had swine. You had polytheistic worship and monotheistic worship. You had clean and unclean. And they converged right there creating a gray area. And this is right where Jesus went. And in that region, he steps ashore. Fascinatingly enough, when this massive storm occurred, and you can almost see the demonic oppression of the storm as it talks about a seismic storm, you can imagine the disciples. They're scared to death, and I don't know if you've ever been through a raging storm on the ocean. It's frightening. I remember when I was a child being on one. Your hands are shaking. You thought you were going to die, and I remember getting on on onto land and almost wanting to kneel down and kiss it terra firma, like firm ground. Thank you, God. Well, you can imagine the disciples, are scared to death. They've watched Jesus. They're frightened of him. They're frightened of the storm. They're, they're, they've just been rocked, and, um, and they, they get on ground, and they're like, oh. <laughs> and they, they get down. They just kiss the ground. It's, everything's going to be good now, and this guy comes running out of the tombs, and, and we're going to see in Luke's account, he's, he's completely naked. He's got chains dangling. He's been cutting himself so he 's gouged bloodied they they couldn 't hold him and contain him, and he comes running out with this voice and the shrieking and 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 i 've got a little puppy, you know his name is dutch he 's he 's a great dane and and he 's coming up on three months and we 're going to have to get a new house. The thing is huge, but when someone 's at the door some, it 's something new, he gets behind you and looks out from <laughs> We all good, boss? You know, and that's, I think that's a picture of the disciples. Jesus, you know, walks up to him with a, kind of a John Wayne walk as he sees this demoniac coming out. He's like walking up just, what's up with you, pal? Hey, how you doing? And all the disciples are lined up behind going, you know, just like the little puppy. You you take care. Oh. And, and the screeching. First of all, they're, they're shocked from the storm, and now this approaches them, and they're just undone. And a perfect teaching moment, and they're thinking to themselves, I would have rather been in the storm than where we are now. This is a place nobody goes. This is, this is off limits. This is a frightening area. Scary. And when he stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. This isn't a new occurrence. He'd been plying this area for quite a while, and everyone knew about him. The text even points that out. It says, and he wore no clothes. He was naked, similar to the Four Seasons. Nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. The contrast between Matthew and Luke uh, with, with Matthew, it's a, it's a conversation where Jesus is having with the demons, and the demons are responding, What have we to do with you? Are you going to throw us into the abyss? Is it before the time? And they, they understand eschatology. They understand where they're going. There are, there are no atheists in hell. And I don't know the difference between a demon and a fallen angel. We can figure that out after we get to heaven. But I do know this. You don't attribute demons by saying, you know, I've, I've got the, the, the demon of lust. That's not a demon. That's you. When confronted with sin, you can do one of three things. Blame others, make excuses, or repent. And and don't don't blame a demon for what you're guilty of. In me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. And you can't say there's a demon in the doorknob and there's a demon in the window. Demons love to occupy protein. you got to have a heartbeat for them to get in. That's why they wanted to get into the pigs. That's why they were in the man. And they operate in that context. How many can go into one person? Well, here, obviously, 2,000 when they said our name is Legion, for we are many. Uh, Legion has 6,284 soldiers in it, so that's a lot. I don't know the exact number, but this guy had a party going on inside him. And, 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 And the contrast is the demons are saying, what have we to do with you? And then the demoniac, the man hidden amidst... All of the demonic oppression rises to the surface, and his response to Jesus personally is, "Uh, what have I to do with you, Jesus, son of the most high God? First time the word son of the most high God, son of man is used, I beg you, do not torment me. This man has been raised to believe that Jesus Christ is a tormentor, as many of our young people have been raised to believe. When we remove God from the study of of the lives of our children, and we educate them that they've evolved from apes or or single cell creatures, and we remove God from the equation, it takes away even the basic understanding that we've been created in the image of God, endowed by our creator with certain inalienable rights, that our rights don't come from God now, they come from man, and that we are are evolving into a, a higher being. And so removing God from the equation and, and we 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 dismiss religion and we dismiss the significance of it. And so our children grow up and they sit down and maybe they went to Sunday school when they were young. And I met a couple of a number of folks that, that over at the four seasons, as I share with them, they they had an exposure to Christ when they were young, but totally walked away now that they were in high school and college. And and going to college, they probably went to a junior college and attended a, a comparative religion class and heard some, you know. Professor who had given up going up the the ladder of accomplishment and stayed where they were and had a bitterness towards the things of God and used their position that's funded by the state to tell them that christianity's a hoax and used comparative religion and zeitgeist and a number of other things and these kids received it and so that gone is a, a god centered worldview and this man had had been raised to believe that Christ was the tormentor, Christ was the one who was going to take away all the fun, Christ was the one who was going to oppress us, Christ there wasn't freedom, and he had walked away from that, and now he sees the Lord, and he says, what have I to do with you? Have you come to torment me? And and I've I've, I've gotten all the emails, and I've listened to them and read them, and and, uh, the comments about the shack, And, and I tire of it. I just have news for you come March 2nd March 3rd over a hundred million dollars will probably 4,000 theaters over 22 million people have read it there's going to be a conversation we're either going to be equipped to dialogue with people in regards to that or we aren't but I do know this the one thing that has blessed me all three times I've seen the film is the presentation of Christ it rocks people in the sense that everything they perceive the Lord to be they realize they were wrong he's not against them he's for them he loves them. I think that's sorely missing in our culture today. I think there's a power in that presentation. And as I, I I think of this man saying, Don't torment me. And he's looking at a man who is completely tormented. And he thinks Christ is the one who's going to torment him? He's got chains dangling from his, his body is scratched. He's naked. He's living in a tomb. What do you mean, torment you? What is he saying? Our children are cutting themselves, trying to control the pain of a world that has walked away from Christ. They're tormented, that they would they would self inflict wounds upon their body, that they would give themselves over to slavery of a substance, all because they have have come to believe that Christ somehow is taking away the fun. That is thrilling. And the marks of imprisonment dangle from a generation as the chains of this man are rattling before the eyes of the disciples. Verse 29, for he commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man for it had often seized him and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles and he broke the bonds and was driven by the demons into the wilderness. Guards couldn't keep him. You've seen pictures of people on PCP that police cannot hold down, tasering them and they still rise and breaking these chains like Samson with supernatural strength. And, and, and the demons would seize him. His body would go into contortions. Just, ah. And they're witnessing this. And he's saying, have you come to torment me? As though he hasn't already been tormented. And then the demons run him into the wilderness away from all of his family. And he's isolated in a place that everyone says, don't go there. Don't go there. And Jesus takes the disciples right in the middle of it. Right into the darkest region of the world where everyone says, stay out of there. I remember sharing the story about 13% of the population of America is black, yet over 30% of the abortions in America are on black children. 71% of the Planned Parenthood abortion clinics are in inner cities. If it hadn't been for Roe v. Wade in 1973, the black population in America would be 40%. Black lives matter. And yet the response is the reason why they allow Planned Parenthood in the inner cities is because it's a way out. And we, we we're baffled trying to understand a way out. And then someone came, why do they live there? I said, well, if you had a business there, would you commute? Said, Absolutely. And I'd do my best to get that business out of there. So you would never live there, nor do you want a business there? No. Then why do you think they stay there? they have nowhere else to go. And a society and a culture requires people to come in and infuse it with life. Up in my wall, I call it the the den of eagles. I've got all the eagle scouts that have obtained that. And I'm watching volunteer men pouring into their lives, teaching them how to do square knots and first aid and and teaching them how to cook and all these things. No one ever took a time. There's no men there. And yet Christians don't go there. We don't do anything. And yet Jesus takes that boat right into the center of the misery and out within moments, this man shackled, just bloodied and naked. Everyone say, I I can't look upon that. I can't be a part of this. And Jesus looks at him. Luke's account through Peter's eyes Jesus said, "What is your name?" He asked the man his name. "I, I don't want to know the names of the demons. I want to know your name. What is the why for what has happened to you? Where are you from? It's like the young man out in front of the Starbucks. Who wants a meaningful conversation? It's going to require something of me to pause and ask him, "Do you know what money is?" And him looking at me baffled, and I, and I extended to him an opportunity. I said, "Would you like to try Teen Challenge?" Which he dismissed me. And I had presented to the men, Teen Challenge has an over a ninety percent success rate. They've got more people wanting to get in than they have beds. And if money is a representation of a contribution to society, I would say Teen Challenge has made a tremendous contribution. They have gone into the gatherings. And yet I asked the men, and they were candid and honest. I said, How many of you support Teen Challenge? Less than 20%. And yet you work hard and you contribute to society, and yet what you have is surplus. Do you consider these other things worthy of investment? And, and my question to the men was, is that man at the Starbucks my responsibility? I love their answers. They were, they, they were great. <laughs> no, yes, maybe, not sure. Well, I guess a little bit. Of course, we know with Cain and Abel, am I my brother's keeper? And the question is, am I responsible for him? Well, how did he end up there? We've tolerated mountains of cultural influence that has allowed him to think that this is acceptable. We're in a, we've created a generation of entitlement, not understanding how to create wealth that's biblical, not understanding how to protect it, which is biblical, not understanding how to be generous, which is biblical, not understanding a tithe, which is biblical. You survey the church across America, a tithe is irrelevant to American Christians. We wouldn't give a tenth of our income We'll tip God, but we won't give a tenth. Because currency, money, is a representation of our contribution to society. And if we really believed the church was making that contribution, we would invest in it. There would be enough beds at Teen Challenge. But I would rather go by and tip him and make him go away than explain to him and pour into his life. I would rather... Avoid him and not cross the Galilee to go into the darkness. Let someone else do that. I think a teen challenge. I think of the value of currency. It's based on our contribution to society. I think about what they do. Do we really value what they do? Do we value what the church does? A constitutional republic can only survive with a moral people. Do we really believe that this nation needs to exist? Do we believe the church is a vital component of that? Why do we give more money to government than we do to God? Or to our pleasure than we do to God? And this isn't because there's a decline in the tithe in the church. Please understand, I have no idea. Nor do I care. I've never worried about money in the church. I've never asked you for money. I'm talking about a text. And as we look at this and we see this picture, this is a man that Jesus says, what is your name? You know, what's, you know what's tough about that? You're going to have to hear a story. Nobody wants to stop and ask the homeless guy his story. And quite honestly, most of them will lie to you and you're going to get stuck. And it's taken us quite a while to work through this process. And we're good at it. And as he goes to share the story of who he is, the demons take over and say, Legion! imagine the disciples. (laughs) Legion. Because we are many. 6,284. And they begged him that he would not command them to go into the abyss. They even know he has authority. The Bible says that demons believe in God and shudder. Demons are smarter than atheists. Now a herd of swine was feeding there on the mountain. They begged him that he would permit them to enter and he permitted them. The demons, fascinatingly, they preferred to be in pigs instead of the abyss. And the pigs preferred suicide instead of being possessed. And demons need protein. They run in and over the cliff these, these, these swine go. They went out of the man, entered the swine. The herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drown the other text says two thousand of them what a waste of bacon (laughs) when those who fed them saw that what had happened they fled and told it in the city and in the country and then they went out to see what had happened and came to jesus and found the man and and matthew doesn't cover this but but peter does through the hand of luke they came and they found the man from whom the demons had departed sitting at the feet of jesus clothed and in his right mind And they were afraid, paralyzed with fear. They also had seen it, told them by what means he who had been demon-possessed was healed as they looked down the cliff and saw the swine floating. Then the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gadarenes or the Gergesenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. And he got in the boat and he returned. Now the man from whom the demons had departed begged Jesus that he might be with him. Let me go with you. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. Pretty interesting how this all falls into place. There were three requests made of Jesus in the course of this text. In this region of mixed culture where Clean was with unclean. Pagan was with godly. Romans with Jews. Sheep with swine. In this mixture of culture, where God's people entered into darkness and darkness entered into the culture of God's people, where the two cultures met, in the midst of this, witnessing the power of God, Transforming in their world a man who had oppressed them and frightened them. There, seated in his right mind and clothed, they were paralyzed with fear. The demons, fearful of the Lord, one word go. He had staved off their ambush of the waves by the simple peace be still enters onto the shore of territory that they own and he steps into the darkness of that territory and a great light has shone. And stepping into the darkness, Jesus utters, go. Their request was, let us go into the swine. Jesus says, yes. The people fearful of seeing this man in his right mind and paralyzed by what Christ had done, commanding the physical elements and the spiritual elements, say to him, leave our town. Jesus leaves. Why did they say this? They were thrilled that the man was no longer a parasite, this man was no longer a problem, but they didn't want his ruler's authority. There are those like that. They want all the benefits of God without the authority of him in their life. We love what we've been given. A nation declaring itself one nation under God. We just don't want to serve God. And we're troubled by the decline of our freedoms. We watch as crime rises and education plummets and debt rises and taxes rise. But to value that which would change it, we don't do. We want the benefits of a church, but we don't want the responsibility of it. We want the benefits of not having to be confronted by the decline of Western civilization with a man begging for a handout. But we don't want to invest in what would change that. We're blind to it. Jesus, leave. Go somewhere else. Jesus honors the demons, Jesus honors the request of the people to leave. He says yes to both requests. The one he says no to, fascinatingly enough, is the man. The man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might be with him. Let me go with you. But Jesus sent him away, saying, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went away in obedience and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. Yes to the demons. Yes to the people, but no to his disciple. No. Lord, I want to be in a comfortable world right with you. I want to follow you. No, you're going to go right back into the darkness and you're going to declare what I have done for you. I have lit a candle that must remain in the city and light everybody else. Direct them to me. And he does. He had been possessed, the scripture says, for many years. For many, many years. Jesus didn't need to use any incantations. He didn't have to go into any of these things. He just said, go to the demons, and they went. And Jesus says yes to every request but the man's. He tells him to go home. When Isaiah wrote about Zebulun and Naphtali, that a great light has shone, and the people walked in darkness, but they have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. It was Isaiah who wrote just three chapters earlier when he said in Isaiah, or no, sorry, later in the passage, he said in Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. He set him free. He declared freedom." I thought about this. I was asked and the story goes back a little bit further, but 2010, maybe 11, I was invited to go to Hawaii. and I was excited to go with my wife. And uh, I'm Irish and Scottish by birth, and we don't tan, we just bubble. And I thought I'd better go get a base tan to go to Hawaii, so I went to La Tan down here on Teo Boulevard. <laughs> Quit laughing at me. <laughs> and as I went there, uh, I met the owner. I bought a, a group of visits and uh, paid some money. I, I made the mistake of telling my daughter about it, and she used some of them. <laughs> and and um, I I, w- I was going there and. He he was very flamboyant and and as queer as a three dollar bill. And uh, I'd have conversations with him, talk with him, and after a while he found out what I did for a living. And he, he thought it funny when people would come in, he'd say, This is my pastor. He's gonna lay in my bed today. He thought it was funny. The Bible says it's to a man's benefit to overlook an offense. I could have said, this is ridiculous, I'm leaving. I rolled with it. I go, Gary, okay, I know you think that's funny, but I don't. Okay, let's just dial that down a little bit there, buddy. I kept going. I have a love for him and a heart for him. In 2012, my daughter, who was going with me, she said, Rob, did, uh, Dad, did you read the newspaper article in the Acorn? And I opened it up and this man had been, been arrested. He was on five hundred thousand dollars bail, accused of having molested two of his employees. I was, I was done. And the Lord said, "Nope." I went back in there, and I struck up a conversation. I said, "Come clean with me. What's this all about?" In ministry, you tend to really appreciate. Candidness and honesty Even though it's brutal And you can tell the difference Because those who have sinned Love to take their sin and develop it in such a way That it makes them look really good Not this man He laid it out So graphically that it was nauseating And he said I screwed up, I did this He laid it all out, he owned it And I listened to him And I was moved so I started to inquire of his employees and started to find out that he's an amazing boss. They've worked with him many for over 15 years. I started inquiring in the community and I started to follow the case and even inquire in, into the legal side of it and started to realize that the, the, the two folks that had claimed this, one perjured themselves and, and it didn't add up and they realized that they were caught in a lie and they stepped out and one remained, but all the witnesses perjured themselves and the day that he was arrested, they filed a civil suit because they were going after the bank. And those who were their best friends that were part of, of the testifying group for, for my friend were saying he's, there's, he's a snake. As I started to read it and understand it more, I realized he's guilty of a lot of things, but not this. And I kept frequenting his establishment. And then a ways back, just a few months ago, I couldn't sleep. And it bothered me. And the Lord kept telling me, go in, go in. And I said, Lord, I'm a pastor and a councilman. I can't do this. Do it. I went in, I told him, I said, I'm, I don't want to be here. I have nothing to gain from this. As a matter of fact, it's detrimental to me and my reputation. I appreciate the district attorney. He's a fine man and so is his office. And for me to do what I'm about to do is gonna stand in opposition. I said, but I'm gonna testify on your behalf. So last week on Tuesday, I went in, I stayed in the hallway for six hours waiting to be called on to testify six hours i 'm sitting there meeting all of the friends of this man and had a chance to share the Lord with a number of them and they were it was a precious time i 'm called in i 'm asked seven questions first one is, Are you a pastor? Yes, are you a councilman? Yes <laughs> Gosh. what else at the conclusion the the district attorney comes up and then has a, a a bar meeting with the defendant attorney and the judge, and they take a recess and they they dismiss my testimony based on an agreement that they had made that they weren't going to deal with anything else. And because of the question that the defense attorney had asked, it violated that area. It wasn't anything I said. It was just what they had agreed on. And she she didn't want my testimony at all. So they struck, turned to to the jury and said, strike everything that you've just heard, which is like, whatever you do, don't think of a pink elephant. And I thought, waste of a day, six hours with all the people I got to share with. And as I told him, I said, God loves you. He's put on my heart to tell you how much he loves you. And and there was flesh on that because he could see. And I said, there's no benefit in this for me other than being, which is the greatest of all, being obedient to what God has commanded. He loves you. And he called me, he said, would you come back in? and just sit in the closing argument so that the jury can see you there. I'm like, I've done my part. <laughs> so I left the fashion show <laughs> and drove to Ventura, which afforded me time to call my wife and ask for forgiveness, <laughs> and waited when they called me in and sat down, or not called me in, but sat down and, and was there, so the, and they saw me come in. Now, the ruling will be this week. I've done my part, but the Lord loves that man. And I was thinking about this man in the Gadarenes and the Gergesenes. Jesus said, what's your name? I know his name, and I know the story, the why to what has happened in his life. I call him a friend. I've introduced Jesus to him. I've testified of Christ in my own life and what he's done. Whatever happened at the four seasons, God used it that day. I look at all these things, the man at the Starbucks. But the part that gets me, and I want to close with this. Genesis says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created him. And then in Isaiah, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. These seven mountains of cultural influence, God has called us into them. Lord, I want to be with you. No, you go into that area. I'll close in a moment with one thing the Lord put on my heart, but before I do that, I want to show you this. Let's pull up the first slide if we could. I caught him off guard. Jesus said in John eight thirty two, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. We're called to go into the world and proclaim the truth. Folks are captive. And what happens in the absence of God is destruction. Watch this. This is August 9th, 1945. The atomic bomb is dropped on Nagasaki. Let's go to the next. This is the devastation of Nagasaki. This was a result of war, colliding cultures, massive death, staving off even greater death, the reasons for it. This was Detroit in the same time, August of 1945. It was the richest city in America, excuse me, it was the richest city in the world, 18% richer than any other city on the face of the earth. It was inundated with wealth. It was producing. It was flourishing. There was freedom. This is Detroit today. Today. Look at the next slide. The opera house. Now look at this. This is Nagasaki today. They were given freedom. Look at the next. Inundated with industry and commerce. Look at the next slide. That's what happens in a government. This is what happens in a person. This is people walking into evil. These are police files The very first time they are arrested for drug possession and then you go down the line and what they look like after years of continuing in this mess. Up upper left, you see the picture of the woman. Upper right, the picture of the woman before, after. First incarceration, most recent incarceration. Look at the next set of slides. First incarceration, second, first, second, first, second, first, second. Look at the devastation of evil. Now, before we go to the next slide, don't go there yet. This is what happens when you walk into evil and you stay there. But Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life more abundant. I've come to set the captives free. I've come to declare liberty. I've come to to break the chains of bondage and to bring good tidings to the poor and proclaim liberty to the captives. He goes right into Zebulun and Naphtali in the darkness of that misery. And this is a picture of Teen Challenge. Watch this. Walking out of darkness, Teen Challenge testimonies. Watch. This is a guy named Gary. Gary. He comes into Teen Challenge. He doesn't know the Lord. He gives his life to Christ, goes through discipleship, and look. Take a look at Haley. Without Jesus, comes to Teen Challenge, gives her life to the Lord, goes through discipleship, today with the Lord. This is Sarah. Life transformed as it was at the Gadarenes. Here she is today. there's a world and mountains of influence that require us and you know what this man says i beg you that you might that i might be with you and jesus says no you return to your own house and tell what great things god has done for you and he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things jesus had done for him i share this with you because i won't be here next sunday I hate missing Sundays I got a phone call it was a classmate of 32 years ago her name's I know her as Tracy Peabody but she's Tracy Hogan Camp now I said hey Tracy I said hey Rob I, I called because um, Karen Novak died Karen that's a name I haven't heard in over 30 years I swam with her I went to school with her we sat together at graduation night. I know Karen. She died, you know. And I'm with her mom right now and a number of the classmates we were together and we, we saw the, the when your mom died and your dad died, you you you, you gave the, the sermon and we thought of all the people you would be the one we'd want you to come and do Karen's funeral. And I, well, how many people will be there? And she said, oh, probably a hundred, mostly classmates. Wow. She says, it's on a Sunday. And I know you're a minister. And I'm thinking, 100 people, I'm going to miss two services. There's always issues whenever I leave and people stop giving. I don't know why you do that. Um, (laughs) And I thought, you know, I I don't, gosh, that was on the inside. On the outside, I "I will be there. I will be there. And I was thinking, Jesus said, go tell your family. You can imagine this man after years of oppression coming home to his family and the kids are going, Mommy, Daddy's coming back and he's not growling and he's wearing clothes. <laughs> he's not cussing anymore. And one of the things that touches me is that most of them, of an entire graduating class, the Lord showed me as I laid on my bed after having said yes, that that was the last portion in my life where for all of us in high school our senior year, we're secure. We're in a boat. We're comfortable. Our parents still pay the bills. We're still doing well. And then we're launched out into the world. And some of us get shipwrecked. And by this time at 52, we've lost parents, friends, divorces, heartache, children have died, addiction, And the Lord has saw fit to say, Rob, you go back to your school and you tell them what I've done for you. I'm going to do that. And the thing that we're going to have in common is they knew me before and they're going to see me now. That's a great privilege. I'd rather stay here. It's going to be an odd, it's going to be just as crazy as going to the Four Seasons with cheerleaders. These aren't things I like to do. It puts me in odd situations and it's uncomfortable and it's way out of my wheelhouse. But how will they know unless someone tells them? This is the role of the church and the body of Christ. And if you want to kick Jesus out and just say, I want all the benefits without the responsibility and you want them off the shores of your life, it doesn't work that way. And I want to close this, this morning by having us pray this in. I, I don't want this to be one of these things we dismiss. There's areas of influence God's calling you into and he's telling you, go back to your family, testify. Testify. Pour into those areas that you're afraid of. Go into the darkest areas and be a light. That's not an exercise in futility. That's a reality of a calling of a disciple. You don't get the benefits without the responsibility. And the thing I love about this church is it's not falling on deaf ears. You get it. I just want to encourage you with it. I I share my week. I know you've had the exact same one. So let's pray it in and ask God to step it up. Amen? Amen. Let's stand. I'm going to invite the worship team up. And I'm going to have the prayer team come up. Pray this in. Pray with someone next to you if you feel so inclined. Or just pray by yourself if you're uncomfortable praying with someone else. But like Pastor Mark said, you're going to spend eternity with them. Get to know them. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the faithfulness that you come into the darkest areas of the world as you came into the darkest areas of our lives and you have set the captives free. And you've called us to go back in and to do for others what you did for us. And Lord, thank you for the gifts that you've given us of these opportunities that we wouldn't want to kick you off the shores of our life. We, we want to remain right where you'd have us be and do exactly what it is you want us to do. Because we know with the benefits come the responsibilities. And we're good with that, Lord, Thank you for Teen Challenge. Lord, it's a a great joy for this fellowship to take the representation of our contribution to society and say, what we have, we want to give to that great contribution to society. We value what God is doing. And so, Lord, help us to reorder our perspective and our priorities that we would be instrumental in bringing life to the world. And so, Lord, thank you Prepare your people to pray and touch our hearts to pray this in, that we would glorify and honor you in Jesus' name. Amen.